Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. We are dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. This includes animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and importantly, appreciation. We are broadcasting from 3CR Studios in Melbourne, Australia. Live streaming and recent podcasts are available via the 3CR website. All podcasts are available from the Freedom of Species website and iTunes. Thanks for tuning in. My name's Adam Cardellini and I'm joined in the studio by Emma Townsend. G'day Andy. G'day. It's nice to be at our final show in a way, isn't it? Because it's been a big year. It is, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, pigs are the non-human animal uh, focus on the program today and, and we've spoken before on sneaky language when it comes to referencing animals <laughs> that misrepresent the animal completely. And when it comes to pigs, um, you hear such things as sweating like a pig. Yeah, yeah, and you're an ugly pig, or any anything like that. And yeah, I think it's yeah. it's just one, it's untrue. Pigs aren't ugly; they're gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and um, it's really disrespectful to both animals and and humans, and it degrades animals in our in our um, social consciousness. It makes animals less than what they really are. I think, yeah. It kind of adds to that sinister veil. There's a lot of academics that talk about this. It's really mm. interesting, isn't it, of not considering that the animal for the reality of the beautiful nature yep. um, that they actually are. Yep. And, um, you know, with sweating, they, they can't, can hardly sweat at all. <laughs> yeah. They have very few sweat it's glands. It's such an interesting one, that one. Yeah, yeah. and, and they, um, they, they can't even pant very well, apparently, like dogs. So it's really um, important for them to, for example, I think wallow in mud to keep cool. Is that right? And, and and they'll choose fresh water if they can. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that that that's correct. And I and I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure when they're wallowing in mud, it's also to help protect from sun. So it's a sunscreen, acts as a sunscreen, acts as a um, a bug deterrent. So it's sort of like a a bathing technique um, to get rid of mites and things like that, and keeps them cool. So it's yeah. It the the other side of it is that it's it's both diminishing. Like by, we're we're demeaning others by demeaning the further out others, which are animals. It's like we're doing two levels of demeaning yes. and trying to um, create a our own personal sort of we're more important because you're not like us. You're like yeah. animals. It's yeah. it's unfortunate because animals are awesome. Yeah, yeah, and and you know pigs are very very intelligent. More than some argue, more intelligent than dogs. If if you want to argue about intelligence, and and human children. So being, <laughs> so being called a pig is like oh thanks for the compliment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm yep. smart. Yep. And and they have a lot of a lot of from what I've seen anyway, they have a lot of love in there, and or um maybe not love maybe love's not the right word, but they have a lot of com- um, companionship when someone. Um, is friends with a pig? They show a lot of friendship to that human as well. Yeah, yeah there's many, and they and they sing to their. It's beautiful. They sing to their piglets. Mm. Yeah. When they're born, to tell them the milk's ready, things like that. They're just gloriously beautiful animals to to read about. Unfortunately, I don't know many pigs personally, but I no. wish I did. Yeah. But, um, Same. And yeah. I, and I suppose if people are interested in sort of appreciating pigs, there's this wonderful pig on. Um, on Facebook that has her own Facebook called Esha or es- Esther. Esther. Esther the Wonder Pig. Oh, yeah. she's fantastic. And her dad loves her so much. It's really nice. So you get a really good feel about how um, how 
great pigs are yeah. by um, learning through Esther. And, and, rem- and re- it reminds us that they are definitely individuals. Mm. You know, it's funny, I was thinking how, you know, they are, a lot of people have pet pigs now mm. and like, like pet dogs. And it's just interesting in an advocacy perspective, isn't it, that if suddenly, you know, we, oh, there's a lot of factory farms, dogs out there and suddenly what are we what are we going to do with them you know there's been a raid oh maybe we should eat them mm. yeah <laughs> that'd people go down, would that'd clearly go well, see yeah the line that's been drawn when it comes to the our yep. integrity of how we treat these animals in the food production system yeah absolutely you know it's like it's pretty it's the same isn't it yep yep yeah yep it's we definitely have our blinkers on when it comes to yeah. pigs yeah. and other non-human animals yeah. that are used in farm production. And another kind of term, you know, that gets pushed around a lot is you piggy when you eat a lot or you're being a piggy. And mm. that's actually, they apparently pace themselves in the yeah, appetite okay. department. So yep. they don't gorge like we do yep. on Christmas Day. Yep. They, 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 they get so big now because we, we overfeed them, make sure they have all this stuff that makes them fat, but they actually will pace themselves. Yeah, and I wonder where the, when that term actually or where it came from, where it started. So the etymology of the you pig or you're, you're being a piggy, um, it might have been in times where there was less food around, it was scarce. So pigs might have been found in tips or something trying to – forage for as much food as they could yeah that's true um in a you know hundreds of years ago where yeah. um, i'm not sure about the etymology of the term though so maybe it'd be interesting to look up actually yeah it would another show yeah <laughs> <laughs> it does come to christmas time though and it, it is a time when animal cruelty is further camouflaged by uh, this goodwill scenario of giving and sharing a meal and it it's difficult to dodge advertisements um at the moment whereby even supermarkets exploit this goodwill um for the fact that they are selling the Christmas ham cheaper and better. Uh, you know, it, it does apparently have a very Christian history, this eating of ham at Christmas. And during the week, I know you and I both listened to a Radio National Religion and Ethics podcast, whereby David Clough, who is a professor of theological ethics at the Uni of Chester, argues that if you want to really reflect Christian values and Christian faith, and that's what you base your identity on, then keep animals off your plate. Was yeah, I, I actually found it to be a really interesting and quite powerful um, conversation that they were having. It's only a 12 minutes or something long, so people should check it out if they're interested. And it highlights something that I don't think we take advantage of enough about um, or enough of in the animal rights community in that there are billions of people who have a religious persuasion and they take their um, religious uh, writings and teachings quite seriously. And if, you could, if we could highlight the importance of an animal ethic within those religious doctrines, then it could have a massive impact for non-human animals. I remember reading a paper recently that did this, um, that sort of highlighted this, a researcher in Melbourne actually, um, and they, they, would, they contrasted both Christianity and Hinduism, there's billions of people who are both who um, subscribe to those different religions, and both have a very strong non-violent ethic. And if they were to actually really live that ethic and not harm animals and be non-violent, then there could be billions of people around the world who are vegan. <laughs> Imagine that. It would yeah. just be. But it's something that I think is missing, or maybe is just starting to come into the animal rights conversations. Yeah. I don't hear it a lot though. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. I know that David uh, Clough, I think that's how you pronounce his <coughs> name, just in 2015 launched um, the Creature Kind Project, um, which engages churches into new ways of thinking about animals and, and Christian faith in this case, with a special focus on farmed animal welfare. So they partnership for po- policy change as an institution, schools, universities and institution can uh, have a creature kind commitment to reduce the number of animal products they purchase or source from higher welfare facilities. But, but it, it, and in a sense, though, it's what you're talking about, isn't it, Andy? It's great that this exists and it's the beginning of a conversation. Like the, it, they're using their, their portal, so to speak, in the religious sense as let's really look at the 
doctrine yep. and the theory here of what we're living, you know. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And live more truly to our values, yeah. Yeah, important time. So please check that out, the Creature Kind Project, and also the Religion and Ethics Report did a podcast this week on witnesses and Christian uh, Christian witnesses and suffering. I think that was a title, but I'll put that on the podcast. Anyway, today we have a very, very special guest. We are going to come back after a, a short break with Lisa Ryan from the Say No to Blantyre Farms campaign in Harden, New South Wales. So we'll be back in a moment with Lisa. Freedom of Species is a show about animals, for animals, listened to by humans. Tune in Sundays, 1pm. tuned into Freedom of Species on 3CR 855 AM and that was Prince with Free, which is a very appropriate song. Absolutely. Being the Freedom Great of song. Species show. <laughs> um, we are joined now by phone with Lisa from the Say No, Say no to Blantar Farms campaign. Welcome to the program, Lisa. Thanks for making time for us today. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Lisa, can you tell us about tell us about this campaign um, and also when it began? Okay, uh, the campaign kicked off in December last year, following uh, the applicants Blantyre Farms, who are based in the Hilltops region, lodging a development proposal to duplicate uh, their intensive piggery operations. Uh, which are already running in Youngshire. And what they've proposed doing is establishing a similar-sized piggery, which includes up to 25,000 piglets and pigs in the Harden Shire. Is this in New South Wales? Sorry, it is in New South Wales. It is. It's in uh, the southern slopes region of New South Wales. Um. So once we became aware through council uh, posting a public notice of the development application, we started pretty much immediately to harness community and public support in opposing the application. So we launched a Facebook page and became very, very active through local media um, in our immediate region, but going beyond that as well. Okay. And so that started about a year ago, yeah? It Yes, we've been going full bore for 12 months now. Okay. Now, we, we, a lot of listeners will know there's a, a long list of um, animal welfare, environmental and um, kind of social policy grounds when it comes to opposing any intensive pig farm especially one that holds 25,000 individual pigs. Can you take us through, for people that don't know, what are the the welfare grounds um, for the individual pigs themselves, starting with the mother pigs? Okay. Uh, From the outset, our campaign has focused on three key areas. The first has been um, the overwhelming concerns and issues with the welfare of, of the pigs themselves and including the piglets and we've also focused on environmental issues and the people impacts. Mm. Um, concentrating on the animal welfare concerns we have raised the issues of the sow stalls and the farrowing crates. Um, I think most people these days are aware of these 
very tight, confined uh, farming practices where these animals spend an enormous amount of their time during their pregnancy and then when they're feeding the baby pigs up until when the piglets uh, are removed from the mothers and moved into other areas of these factory farms. How long do they spend, sorry, um, Lisa, just how how long do they spend? Just so, because people out there think, okay, it's all right for a certain amount of time. But as I understand, the whole cycle of from the sow stall to the farrowing crate, um, it's their entire lives really until they're, chucked off to slaughter, is that right? It, it, it is the bulk of their lives and for the mother pigs in particular, their life is this ongoing repeated cycle of being um, artificially inseminated. Um, they then um, are pregnant for the, the period of time they then um, deliver their their baby piglets, many of whom don't survive, um, and because the mothers are in these farrowing crates and there's not sufficient room, and they often have quite large numbers of babies. You know, the average can be sort of between ten and thirteen piglets, which they're they're feeding non-stop during this time, and then the mothers are put back into a group housing type environment, but even in those environments, you know, you can have up to 50 mother pigs all in one pig pen and there's very, very little room for them to move around. Um, And then they are again impregnated and the cycle just continues to repeat itself until the mother sows are probably on average about three to three and a half years of age and I guess they're not considered viable or as productive as they were when they were little pigs and they are then put on to the, the trucks and sent down to, in terms of Blantai Farms there at the moment, being shipped down to a slaughterhouse in Melbourne where they are gassed to death. So their entire life is non-stop suffering, um, very cruel husbandry practices, um, a lot of abuse, um, intense confinement and then ultimately being killed by being gassed to death. It sounds like you well, it, you are describing a horror story. When I listen to that, it, is it, a just, horror story. it really breaks my heart from forcible impregnation to being killed. Um, they're just going through a terrible time. And do, do you have much of a sense of what the community feels? Because um, I, I don't imagine you live in a vegan utopia where everyone um, acknowledges that we shouldn't be uh, treating animals in these ways. But do you get a feel for how the community around that area is responding to um, this farm proposal and how, what they think or do they know about these practices? Do they know what's going to happen to these individuals? One of the positives that has come out of our very, very public and intense campaign is that we've actually been able to get a lot of this information out to this community. And it is a rural community where um, there is a heavy reliance on uh, agriculture, including intensive animal agriculture. And... This is where people derive jobs, their income, their ability to support. So there isn't a lot of choice. Now, before the campaign, there was probably a small minority of reasonably aware people who understood uh, terms like sow stalls but didn't understand the ongoing cycle that the mothers went through there was certainly limited understanding of the quite abusive and violent husbandry practices that the piglets endure. And there was certainly very little information about the slaughter methods. Mm. Um, As a result of the campaign, we've now been able to put out there the facts and the evidence and the photos and the footage saying to people this is actually how your food is raised and where it comes from and we want you to have a think about it and if you 
share our concerns that this is not what we should be doing as an evolved society and compassionate community. Mm. We need to demand changes. Now, just going on to some of the husbandry procedures, and again, most people don't understand or didn't previously uh, recognise that this happens day in, day out, not just in the Blantyre farm sheds, but all intensive piggeries. Mm. When the piglets are born within the first couple of days, um, they have their tails cut, cut off, they have their teeth cut, um, <coughs> and this is, this is undertaken with no pain relief, no anaesthetic. It's quite a violent procedure, and the piglets obviously scream. Um, any piglets who are considered sickly or underweight and are not deemed um, to be suitable for growing into larger pigs to then put onto trucks to then be gassed to death and increase uh, profits will be uh, killed. The method of killing is that staff in these intensive factory farms pick the piglets up by their hind legs and they slam their heads into the concrete floors. Um, now, this is often undertaken in front of the mothers and the other piglets. Um, and aside from being a completely inhumane way of killing any animal, um, it is also obviously going to cause emotional impacts for the workers mm. that uh, in many instances in these rural environments don't have a lot of options with the type of work available. So one of the things we've been pushing through our campaign is supporting sustainable industries, uh, things like tourism, um, uh, ventures that involve fresh fruit, stone fruit, and this particular region is well known for cherries and stone fruit, um, for our wineries, and we're saying these are the sorts of areas of employment that we believe young people, indeed any people, should be working in because they're healthy, they make them feel good, they're earning normally pretty good wages... And they're sustainable. In mm. intensive factory farming, we don't view as sustainable. Um, I think there's increased pressure, not just in New South Wales and across Australia, but around the world. All sorts of people are saying, no, we don't want this anymore. We, we, we believe it's cruel. We believe that there are better ways to treat animals. There are better ways to raise food. And we need to be looking at alternatives and we need to be looking at sustainable. And I, I like how you um, concentrate on th that focus of the sustainability <coughs> when it also comes to also the, the welfare of the environment and, and socially with people. I mean, mm. what you described a little earlier about the husbandry practices are all legal, standardised, everyday practices in these farms that these workers have to do. Correct. And the emotional uh, consequence, yeah, of that is, is, yeah, an, is well, enormous. There, yeah, there, I mean, I think we've had um, a number of workers from intensive animal environments and slaughterhouses um, speak out about what they saw, what they were forced to do, what they were forced to endure and how they internalised all of these horrors and how it impacts not just their emotional health and well-being and how they interrelate with friends, their mm. family when they go home after working in these, we refer to them as sweatshop environments. And we see that many of these workers are as much a victim in these intensive industries as the animals are. Yep. The only people who really seem to benefit and profit are the owners and the operators who make exorbitant amounts of money, which is why they do it. Um, and it, because it has, until recent times, been hidden from the consumers, consumers really have had no idea 
where poor products came from. They see them wrapped up in, you know, nice packaging in the supermarkets or their local butcher, but previously they had no understanding of how that piece of meat was once a living, feeling, breathing animal. Mm. And the other, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I've read some research um, that indicates that it can be quite damaging to communities um, and in, in a similar way to fly-in, fly-out workers um, in other communities where they're, they're not connected or um, they're not really part of the community, it can increase crime, it can increase violence, that sort of stuff. The uh, large factory farmings, because of the um, trauma that the, the workers are experiencing, there's actually increased levels of violence um, potentially in those communities that are that, where those large factory farms are be, are, are located. I think the research yeah, might well, have been from America. Yeah, but. yeah, well, I think also Lynn White from Animals Australia uh, early on spoke about her experiences as a police officer in South Australia and a particular area where there was a lot of violence, a lot of drug and alcohol abuse, a lot of domestic violence. Mm. And what they found out through the police investigations is that a lot of the people involved were actually connected with or working directly in the local slaughterhouse. Mm. Um, And I have no doubt if you are constantly being exposed to violence where you're discouraged to feel any connection with the animals or compassion or you're in fact bullied because you're saying I'm not comfortable with this, this is wrong, we need to report that. You're bullied and intimidated and because you're reliant on you know, this type of employment to feed your own family, mm. you don't have a lot of choices. It's very, very difficult for Um, anybody in that environment to actually become a whistleblower. Um, But it does happen and increasingly uh, people in those environments who are also being exposed to this increasing level of awareness in communities are now starting to question things Mm. Um, and they will have friends and acquaintances, you know, ask them, well, do you really do this to the animals? Um, are you being paid an award wage? What sort of hours do you work? And they then themselves start to question um, what sort of work they're doing and whether you know their community should be providing better options and better choices. And that's one of the things we've been advocating for that councils and the development and regional development authorities at state government level need to provide more options for people. It shouldn't just be if Mm. you live in a rural area that your only source of employment income should be working in an intensive factory farm or a slaughterhouse. Mm. There has to be better options for people. One of the (coughs) the main defences of industry and, and, you know, government... um, supporting these industries is that creating jobs jobs is the main thing and yeah jobs are important but what you're saying is that there is there's enormous opportunity um for people to have jobs in other industries that are also just so much better for the environment and i tell you what when i go for a drive in the country i'm going to go somewhere where it's kind of nice and not lots of um you know intensive factory farms around with a big pong Yep. You know, and nice for the community as well. And nice for the community. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, one some of the environmental issues we've um, really zoomed in on are, you know, if this if approval was granted for the duplication of this intensive piggery, then even though it's approximately four and a half five kilometres. From the township of Harden, people in the town of Harden, Murrumburra, will be able to get whiffs of the piggery odours. Mm. Um, and the, the studies and the reports and all our background homework is confirming that. There's also um, the area is 
sitting on a water-vulnerable table. So there are huge risks and impacts to contamination of not only the groundwater but the nearby um, main water supply which connects to Harden Murrumburra and a whole lot of other surrounding regions as well. So this is our main drink, drinking water. Oh, and in the event of a major spill, um, we've had confirmation from Goldenfields Water who oversee the management of that main water supply that in the event of a large contamination spill, they would really seriously struggle in containing it. So that's a huge impact. Then you have the risk of um, native wildlife and uh, biodiversity. So, you know, the, the, there is nearby to the proposed piggery, there is a colony of platypus. Um, there are other wild birds and ducks and all sorts of other animals that obviously are at serious risk if this proposal was developed. How so? Um, there's... How yeah, there, there's also... How so? Yeah. Well, in that once you have construction underway with bulldozers and jackhammers and uh, we're talking about 21 large sheds, uh, effluent ponds, mm. biogas generators um, and workers in and out over you know an extended period of time then animals that have previously been um, residing and living and finding food in a particular area will move from that area. Um, so sure. they are all at risk. And then, of course, you have the obvious risks and impacts like disease. Um, the applicants have confirmed in their newest round of information They've actually revised their pig mortality rates in their intensive sheds and they've now confirmed that approximately 8,600 pigs and piglets die in their sheds alone. Every year? Uh, every, every year. Um, so this is piglets That's, that yeah. are dying for various reasons um, or are being deliberately killed by the workers because they're small or sickly and basically don't make the intensive grade. Um, so the method of disposal for the dead piglets and pigs is to pick them all up and uh, deposit them into what we call dead compost pits. So two massive uh, pits, one at the grower site and one at the breeder site um, that are huge and all these pigs go into these pits and they're covered with straw and all sorts of things uh, according to the applicants and then when they compost and break down the applicants are proposing spreading that composted dead pig substance on their own paddocks as fertiliser. Oh gosh, wow! So, that, so eight thousand six hundred um, dead individual pigs a year is just expected. That's just how it happens. In um, well, you, not that... only is it is it expected, uh, the applicants um, confirm that that is a reasonable number of pigs and piglets. To dying every year in their sheds. Now, I guess they're looking at it from a profit-loss scenario. When compassionate people look at it, you think of those individual animals who have all felt something, feared something and suffered. Mm. Yeah. You know, the other... One of the other and major... Sorry, and the mothers, the mothers being the mother, there and seeing this happen. Correct. Yeah, correct. in a confined space the whole time. Yeah. And so correct. And the, the confined spaces are, I mean, they really are cesspit pits of urine and feces and disease and rats and all sorts of issues. So apart from being crammed into these very small areas, 
they're surrounded by the toxic gases that are emanating from the urine and the feces and the food and the rats and everything else. And they're breathing this in all day, every day, for as long as they're alive. But so are the workers, Mm. you know. So the risk of human disease um, is enormous. Uh, understanding that as well as the the dead pig compost mix that's uh, the applicants are, are proposing spreading on their property, they're also proposing spreading all of the pig effluent created by twenty five thousand pigs on their property as well. Now, because we've challenged all of the uh, information over the last twelve months. We've uh, confirmed, or the applicants have now had to revise the the levels of effluent, and they've now confirmed that after spreading pig effluent on their own property, they will uh, have an excess of 250,000 tonnes of pig effluent that they're going to have to move off-site every year as well. Uh, By truck? By trucks. Yeah. And is that a biosecurity? By large trucks, yep. Is that a biosecurity concern when it's on trucks and being, I'm sure, bits of it would truffle over onto the street and nearby environments? Well, there has been over recent and ongoing months complaints lodged by members in the community of the applicants actually already transporting um, what we believe to be animal effluent onto the proposed site, um, including um, some spills on public roads. So there's been a whole lot of issues ongoing and I guess the campaign has been as well as raising public awareness and challenging the objection in a very public manner Um, We've also been doing a whole lot of background uh, work with lobbying the government departments who also have um, an interest in... um, They have to provide a licence. So for uh, DPI, the Department of Primary Industries in New South Wales, have to look at issues like... Um, uh, animal welfare, biosecurity and uh, disease management. EPA need to look at uh, providing a licence for the applicants because they are proposing uh, distributing animal effluent onto their property and uh, and the odour issues, which are a very important consideration. And the applicants also have to get approval for an Aboriginal heritage licence. Okay. And how is... um, You're on Freedom of Species and we are chatting with Lisa Ryan, who's a a campaign leader for the Say No to Blantyre Farms piggery in Harden, New South Wales. Um, Lisa, how can people uh, help out? I understand that January 3rd is a bit of another public exhibition deadline for people to... Um, protest against this piggery. Can you can you tell us about that and what it is and how what people can do? I can. Um, at the moment, we're in the third round of public exhibition, um, so all the applicant information is up on the Hilltops Council website. If people want to look at it, it is very. There are huge volumes of information, and it is quite complex and very technical. Uh, the, the closure date is the 3rd of January, so the first day after council goes back to work after the Christmas New Year break, um, we are loading up onto our Facebook page later on today a template so people who don't have time to read these massive wads of information or or find it difficult to understand because of the complexity can click on our Facebook page and they can use our template um, as is or they can personalise it by adding 
any additional concerns they may have. And is that just for local um, people? No, anybody uh, throughout Australia or from overseas uh, can lodge an objection and they all need to be considered. It sounds like because it's been so, um, you know, it's been such a long process and they're even having this third public exhibition stage that your campaign is really being successful thus far. Yes, we, we've been very scientific about the issues and we have responded with evidence and fact and remain very, very disciplined and focused about how we've gone about the campaign. Mm. We have, um, uh, losing you a bit there, Lisa. Sorry, we're losing your line a bit. Sorry, can you hear me now? Yeah, that's better. Thank you. Okay. It is because we've been so public and disciplined about about our campaign that we've been, I mean, thus far through round one and round two, there were thousands of objections lodged with council uh, who were very overwhelmed, probably a little bit surprised at the level of public interest. But because we've been able to challenge and respond to the applicant's information in a very scientific, factual manner, council and the state government agencies have actually had to really, really look hard at what we've been saying. And that's what we are planning and endeavouring to do in this third and hopefully final round of uh, public objections. So we'd encourage as many people who have a connection with animals, feel compassion for animals, and are fed up with these intensive factory farms. We're giving people the opportunity who may not be across all the issues to use our template and be empowered and have a say. That's excellent. I'm sure if we were talking about puppy farms, people would be right on it. And, you know, in my opinion and many others, it's, you know, if we're talking about dogs here, you'd have an absolute riot, wouldn't you? Well, you would. um, And we often talk about if this was a puppy, how would you feel if the puppy farmer was cutting off their tail without anaesthetic or uh, pain relief? Um, and you need to think about, well, the, the baby pig has exactly the same emotions, the same pain levels. So if we're saying this is unacceptable for a puppy, we need to say this is also unacceptable for a baby pig. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Lisa. We really appreciate it. And we really do urge people to, now you've all got a break, just go to the Say No to Blantyre Farms Facebook page and they've made it easy. They will make it easy for us to um, send forth a submission. And I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. It's fantastic. Let's hope that the uh, council sees what they need to do and they don't allow this, this horrible place to be built. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you very much for your time. Ah, oh, thank okay, you. Okay, take bye-bye. care. Bye. bye. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR. Um, we're down here in Melbourne. Just have, have just been talking to Lisa, who's been running the um, a campaign to end a massive factory farm in New South Wales. And to wrap up the end of the show, we're going to have a, um, a quick chat about a project I've been working on. Um, and I'm going to work a little bit more on next year and try to get it going um, even more than I have this year. I'm uh, going to put some more time into it, and that's called Vegan Sci. And Vegan Sci brings ethics and evidence together 
to provide people with an interest in veganism, um, some of the scientific evidence that has to do with veganism, and it could be anything to do, uh, anything from animal consciousness, uh, psychology, attitudes and, and um, people's attitudes towards a vegan diet, um, and a whole range of different things. And we're actually going to be, um, so next year I hope to create a website around VeganSci, and then I'll be doing regular posts um, and also hope to start a podcast and do some YouTube videos around VeganSci, bringing people the scientific evidence they need to talk about veganism. I'm really excited about that because I know you already do VeganSci thing, but for, if, for so many for so much scientific research, it stops there in academia land. And people like me that need a little bit of explaining to, uh, <laughs> we don't get to really understand it. And there's so many people out there thwarting little cherry-picked bits of information mm. uh, for their particular agenda. So it's wonderful, um, Adam, and I apologise for calling you Andy <laughs> before. I had it written down. So good. My Sunday brains. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um but to really, I know that's a lot of work to do for you to kind of go through this. Yeah, it takes it takes literature, this research, and then try and um, articulate it for us to understand. So that'll yeah. that'll make some great shows next year. Yeah, Excellent. no, it, it, and I hope it hope it's good. And as you say, it's um, there is a lot of people who cherry pick data, and it's not just on the opposite side it's not just people who aren't vegan it's also vegans and I hope to sort of highlight that as well that we all need to be a little bit more um, evidence-based in when we're making claims about certain things and I hope to help provide that for people. That's really interesting it's just be smarter and go a bit deeper so they don't the other side doesn't have something to put you down about or yeah. say, you know, you can't, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. That's exactly it. Like, yeah, we should just try to be evidence-based as much as we can. Mm. And there was actually a really, uh, sorry, <coughs> there's a really interesting paper that came out um, a couple of days ago in the second largest uh, scientific journal in the world. So that that is the second most popular visited by thousands and tens of thousands of people every day um, called Science. And it had a paper um, that's called uh, What Life Scientists Should Know About Security Threats. And I thought it was really interesting. I'm like, oh, this is going to have something to do with um, biosecurity. I'll have a read. And what they're talking about is both um, security threats in terms of um, people who are sending... Uh, materials like anthrax, say, to a to a lab, which happened in early um, 2001, I think. It happened in the early 2000s. Uh, and they're also including in this, in this sort of group of terrorists, um, animal liberationists. So they put together these two groups of people who are, um, might pose a security threat to life scientists. Um, and I think it's very interesting how we how we talk about um, people who are willingly going to, or at least these scientists are talking about people who are willingly um, trying to harm individuals by sending them anthrax, say, with people who are liberating non-human animals from places that are torturing them, abusing them, and will eventually kill them. It's really interesting. So we've been tainted with the with the brush of terrorists, yep. and and this is. A paper that's come out recently in a very reputable yep. science journal. Yep. So the the language that they're using is is phrasing, mm -hmm. phrasing you know animal liberationists and animal yep. people who want to advocate on behalf of animals as terrorists. That's really powerful, isn't it, Adam? So I'm so glad that you're pointing that out. Mm. And and it and it's it's. A bit disappointing for me that scientists fall into this. I mean, they probably feel that they're they're threatened, their jobs are threatened, and um, and for an individual, having your lab broken into is and things things um, damaged or those sorts of things could possibly be traumatic. But they're not taking into perspective the um, the individuals that they are keeping, and they they actually use language like um, they call them animal specimens. So they're the they're the property of the scientists, which then doesn't doesn't give them any um, individuality. And then when someone comes in to liberate those animal specimens, they um, 
they just see it as a negative thing. They see it as a bad thing. And for instance, there's a quote here, and it just highlights the language that's being used. And it says, although a majority of incidents were attacks perpetrated by violent animal rights and eco-radical organisations, i.e. domestic extremists, several incidents involve individuals are described. So they go through and um, they've, they've described some of the things that can happen to life science labs. But just that language, vi violent animal rights and eco-radical organisations, it's, it's <laughs> troubling. It's such a, such a shame. Yeah. It's really troubling when it gets <coughs> yeah, enmeshed into the fear of what um, in general society there is. Yeah, there's a people think, oh, there's a violence that we need to really acknowledge and, and try and as a society solution our way through. And mm. when we're putting that bucket, it doesn't help, does it? No. 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 Excellent. Well, that kind of <coughs> does us for the whole year. <coughs> Well, Adam's fighting a bit of a yeah, cough. Yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we think that our fellow FOS presenter gave it to him, but we won't go into that, will we, Kate Gracie? Um, <laughs> right, so thank you so much for everyone's support this year. Um, and that's a heartfelt, uh, that's heartfelt gratitude from the Freedom of Species team. We know it's been a really challenging year for uh, a lot of people. And um, personally, I had to let go of my beautiful dog and I'm starting to Ooh. cry sorry so I know it's really hard to let go of your pet um, so I just want to convey oh gosh I can't believe it <laughs> I just want to um put it out there for anyone else that's lost a furry friend that um you know uh, lots of love over this break because it's probably the first Christmas you're having without them and it's just as hard as losing a human member of the family. Absolutely. And we also, me and my partner, lost our our companion, Bonnie. And Aww. we definitely, that was uh, one of the hardest things that I've been through <sighs> and earlier this year. So goodbye 2016 and yes. welcome 2017. <laughs> well said. Thanks for your support. See you next year, guys. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am. Tune in and listen up. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.